Hey there, before we get started, we want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in to the Kuhau Podcast. We hope it encourages you and draws you closer to Jesus as you listen. Let's get excited for this message and let's get ready to hear from God. We're going to get into Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 48. Um, I grew up in the church, so this scripture is very famous. Um, and it's always... Sometimes I, 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 I have a, I'm going to give you a preview to my pre-conversations with the Lord. I said, Lord, you give me this. I said, this is famous. The one with the alabaster jar? Come on. I, mean, I said, how am I doing justice to this? And then God gives me this unique backstory insight. And I'm like, Lord, how am I going to go preach that? I'm like, it doesn't, it doesn't line up with anything I've ever heard. And And then he reminds me that it's not about that. It's about what you're called to do and the words I've given you. And I said, okay, no problem. Because what am I supposed to say after that? Luke 7, 36 says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house in the region of Galilee and reclined at the table. Now, there was a woman in the city who was known as a sinner, and when she found out he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began wetting his feet with, his, with her tears and wiped, them, and wiped them with her hair of her head and respectfully kissed his feet as an act of signifying both affection and submission and anointing them with perfume. Now with Simon the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him, that she is a notorious sinner, an outcast devoted to sin. Jesus answering said to the Pharisee, Simon, I have something to say. And he replied, teacher, say it. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they had no means of replaying the debt, he freely forgave them both. So which of them would you lo- would love him more? Simon answered, the one I take for, th- I'm sorry, the one I take it for whom he forgave more. Jesus said to him, you have decided correctly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, but you failed to extend me the usual courtesy shown to a guest. You gave me no water for my feet, but she, she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, demonstrating her love. You gave me no welcoming kiss, but from the moment I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not even anoint my head with ordinary oil, but she has anointed my feet with costly and rare perfume. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those at the reclining at the table with him began saying among themselves, who is, he, who is this who he forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith in me has saved you. Go in peace, free from the distress experienced because of sin. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you, Father, and I glorify you, and I lift you up in this place, Lord. And Father, I thank you for the privilege and the honor that you have given me here today, oh God, to bring your word. Father, I ask that hearts in this place be open, oh God, that you may speak what you need to say. Father, and I thank you. I thank you, I thank you, I thank you, because you are always faithful, 
always loving, always merciful, and you are for us, and there is nobody who can stand against us. I thank you, God, because you are our great defender. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Ooh. So the sermon title, I was going back and forth, and I didn't even give it to Dyron. Then I asked him, hey, do you have a slide? And he's like, no, not really. So after I initially titled this, I, the Lord, I felt like, no, we need to retitle this. And for the sake of a title, we're going to call this The Great Defender. Most of you know me um, as the Jesus chaser. Uh, or that I've been chased by him for the, for the better part of my life. I'm a wife. I'm going to make 12 years married this in April. I'm a mother of three. I have a 20-year-old who's going to be 21 on Thursday, a 10-year-old and a 6-year-old. We won't get into how my motherhood years have superseded my married years. We'll leave that for another day. All right? Don't be judging me. As I was raising my 21-year-old, there were moments in his younger years where I had to do things in the house because I was a single mom. And there was things that I learned to do on my own, right? And we have some ladies, and I'm sure we've gone through our stories. And these are things that we're like, man, if we only had somebody here, right? This year, this struggle for me was always the same. I would go to the supermarket. I would buy a jar of tomato sauce. Really quick, I'm going to insert this. I no longer do that because Miss Fran taught us how to make sauce from scratch. I no longer use canned tomato sauce. Shout out to Miss Fran. But the jar, we all open it the same, right? We have these things with the jar, and we're there, and we have to, it's time to open it. It's time to go through it. And then we start doing our rituals. We do it once, it doesn't come out. We do it twice, it doesn't come out. So I sat there, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to feed my child, and I can't get this jar of sauce open. And I said, well, you know what, let me see what I've been taught before. We take the jar, I don't know about you guys, but I've been taught to bang it on the counter, right? In a specific spot, pray to God that it doesn't crack open, right? And then we twist again, and guess what? Nothing happens. Then we do it, then for the good measure, we bang it again, right? Now we're more upset, now we're more frustrated. We bang it again, and nothing happens. Then the old trick, just in case anybody's wondering, and I'm sure us Hispanics know, you hit, take the bottom of it and you pop, pop, pop. And then all of a sudden, it opens. Fast forward now, I'm married. We have jars, not of sauce though, friend, not of sauce. We have jars, and I'm in my house, my husband's sitting there, and I'm like, all right, here's the jar. Bang, poop, you know, whatever. John's looking at me. And he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I have to open the jar. I have to open the jar. And he's like, but you're banging the jar against it. I said, well, this is what I know, right? I know how to bang the jar. And then he walks over to me, grabs the jar. No banging, no hitting at the bottom. And he just pop, and it pops open. And then I look at him. And I said to him, oh, now we think we're fancy because you just walk right over and just pop over the jar. But you know what? Let me tell you that this jar right here was not going to get the best of me. 
because I'm stubborn and I'm gonna do whatever it is. I will not, and I repeat, I will not surrender. To this day, 12 years in, I will still take a jab at the jar with him sitting there. I will still take a jab at the jar because you know what? This jar is not gonna get the best of me. It's just not. And it's interesting how we find the more productive ways of doing things, but yet we still revert back to the things that we know. 12 years married, guys. My 12 years married, almost 15 years together. So 15 years of him being able just to pop open the jaw. But our lives are the same way. We don't want to surrender to things. Let's, let's be real here. The word surrender, we cringe. I said it and you guys are like, ooh. We cringe at the word surrender. We cringe at, at, at these things. We cringe at, at not wanting to give up essentially what feels like sometimes a part of ourselves, right? And the, division, the definition of surrender doesn't help anybody either. I looked it up. I said, well, Lord, you know, what's going on here? I looked it up. It says, to give up completely or agree to forego, especially in the favor of a, another. To give up into the power of another, especially as a prisoner. To give oneself over to something such as influence. I was not going to become a prisoner of my jar. It was going to become a prisoner of me. FYI, it has not. I just give the jar to John now. I need you to open this. And I walk away. But surrender in our, in our society is a very negative concept. It is a concept of, of when you hear about somebody surrendering in battle, or you hear somebody essentially giving up or waving the white flag. That is what our surrender is in our, in our society. It gives us a bad taste in our mouths. It, 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 just, it just doesn't sit right with our core, right? It just doesn't sit right within us. From where we're young, we're taught to be tough, to roll with the punches, to, to keep moving forward. We can fix it alone, and admitting that we need somebody else to jump in is like, no, we're not doing that. But what if? But what if a surrender can draw you closer? What if a surrender can set you free? And what if a surrender can change the path of your life? The woman in this story, the Bible doesn't say much about her. She, it says she was a sinful woman. And I'm like, that's weird because we're all sinful, you know, by nature. It was says some, some say that it was an immoral woman. Some, say, some Bible verses say that she was a prostitute. Not the greatest to be remembered as a reputation through history, right? But one thing for sure, she knew where she had to make it to for the surrender. She knew that there was someone there who has looked past that now, who has looked past the label that has been placed on her. But she walks into his house, into Simon's house, and, and you know, it, back then I was reading there's a customs to kind of, if there was a teacher in a, in a house, you can just go into the house, can you imagine that? Leave the door open, everybody just walk in and just listen to the teacher. And that was a custom because I was like, that's weird, Lord, <laughs> right? And I can imagine everybody just, if I can paint the picture, if I can imagine everybody just staring at her. We know the ones, right? We've all done it. The person who walks into the party, you're like, oh, she's here. Oh, he's coming. 
And she walks into this place full of people. And she's judged by what her sin is. And isn't that like us, our humanness? I always tell Pastor Ross that we should do a sermon series that says, not your ordinary Joe. To measure our humanness uh, standards against God's. And in our humanness, it's like we put standards on shortcomings. Right? We number them from one to ten. Ten being, you know, one being the best shortcoming and ten being the worst. So where do you line yourself? I'm talking about me. I said, all right, Lord, where do I, where do I sit myself? I said, eh, my anger's at a three. My husband may choose to say eight, but he's not here. He's not here, so you're going to have to take my word for it. And my mouth, whoo I'm, I'm going to come in at a nine. But, but I will say it has been redeemed a little, so I'm going to push it down to like a five. All right? But this woman, the scholars say, she was pretty much a streetwalker, right? And I can imagine in her time of holding her box in her hand. So we're going to say this is the box. And as she's holding her box in the hand, she is on her way to the Pharisee's house. And as she's walking, I can only imagine the things that go through her head. The Bible doesn't specifically say that they have met before. But in my mind, I'm like, for you to do such a brazen thing, there must have been some type of encounter somewhere. In chapter 7, the entire chapter talks about Jesus performing miracles. So I'm like, maybe she heard. Maybe she saw. Maybe she saw a miracle, right? Some scholars believe that she was Mary, Lazarus' sister. Uh, she's a, a similar scene is mentioned in the other Gospels. But they're not sure. But I can see her walking through, and I can imagine her walking through the town that she lives in where everybody knows her business. And I can see her possibly going through her head and saying, I need to make it to this person's house because I know that Jesus is there. I need to see him. I need to get to him. But what would this look like? Will it look weird to somebody? Will it make sense? Will anybody notice even me walking in through the room? And if they do, will I have an answer if somebody asks me something? And then the outside voices, right? She's walking. I can see it. It's funny because I'm like, Lord, like, we see the stories in the Bible. I'm like, but there, there is a backstory to these things. And if she's walking and she had to walk to get there. So I'm like, the grumblings of others and, and, and the, the layers of the thoughts of what everybody passing judgment as they see her walking through the, through the, um, through the town and, and the stairs and the, the what ifs and what is she going and where is she going and what is she doing. But she still knew she had to get there. The layers have been created by what has been done to us and the situations and what we've placed ourselves in sometimes, right? I mean, am I the only one? I know I've placed myself in situations where I'm like, oh, maybe not. That wasn't a good idea. These things to us make sense. I look at her jar and I'm like, she's holding on to something. 
And these things make sense to her. This makes sense to her, what she's holding on to. And we do the same thing. We know we see Jesus. We know he's over there. We know we have to get there. But yet we hold on to our jars. Surrender is a hard pill to swallow. It really is. Especially when the very thing that we have to surrender has become the core of us. Anger, that's our response. Unforgiveness, that's our coping mechanism. Bitterness, that's another wall we've built. Hurt, hurt is the one that gets carried around under all the other layers. And these things we hold on to. Sometimes we think that that those things will deter Jesus from meeting us where we are or from being with us. She, we remember, we remember the things that we have done and we say, there's no way that I can surrender this to him because he will not even deal. And to some degree, we engage in this power struggle. We engage in this power struggle with this thing called life and, and things get thrown at us and, we can, and there's things that happen to us that we can't even fathom on a bad day. On a bad day. Whether we think about it or not, those things will shape every single thought and action that we do, good or bad. Question, how many of us have been stung by a bee? Raise your hand. Oh, there's a lot of you. I wasn't expecting that. If you have been stung by a bee, when you see a bee, what's your reaction? Exactly, exactly. You don't go near the bee. Funny story, I was on vacation last year at, with my family in uh, Niagara. I had a lime green shirt on. We parked the car at the aquarium. I get out of the car and guess who's waiting for me? I've never been stung by a bee. And I'll tell you why right now. The minute I opened the door, it came for me because they must have thought it was a big lime green flower. And I started running in the parking lot around my car. My kids are in the car, the car was off. My kids are in the car. There's people in the parking lot watching me run around my car. Because I didn't want to get stung by the bee. My kids were like, are you serious? My daughter, everybody knows I'm Mariah, right? My daughter's like, mommy, are you serious right now? And I'm like, I am serious right now. I am not getting stung. And then John's watching me while he's paying for the parking. He's like, what are you doing? And across from the parking lot, he's like, what are you? I'm like, I'm not getting stung. I'm not getting stung by the bee. This thing thinks that I'm a big green flower and I'm not doing it. But when we approach Jesus, we think the same way. We've been stung by these things. And we approach him holding on to our little jars and saying, we can't, no, 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 I can't give this up. We can't show you this here. And I'm thinking, and we think, and we become weary of sharing ourselves with God because we have been molded by what life has done. So funny. And we do it more often than we don't, than we think we do. This isn't in my notes, but I think it's funny. 
Me and John had a misunderstanding. Pastor Owen Lee got a wind of it yesterday uh, over text, over a phone call. He heard something. I didn't say that. Then we're texting back and forth, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Anyway, it was a misunderstanding. But in the beginning of that discussion or that disagreement, he said something to me, and immediately my heart went, Phew. nope, I'm not sharing that with you anymore. And that's what we do because of that has that can be applied to God too. The way we relate here is the way we relate here too. Whether we realize it or not, and I'm not saying it's intentional, I'm not saying it's on purpose, I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying that is our natural thing. But she sees Jesus. And she walks in and she kneels before him. And is she thinking to herself, I've made it. There's so many here who know about my story. Here goes nothing. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm, I'm going to kneel under him. I'm going to be behind him. Nobody's even going to notice I'm there. Her posture and her surrender, because they noticed, then pulls her critics to the forefront. Verse 39 says this, Now when Simon the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is touch, who is touching him, and she is a notorious sinner and outcast. Isn't that just like humans? I don't know about you guys, but I've been plenty of places where people are like, You go to church? Really? And inside of me, I'm like that woman kneeling before Jesus. I'm like, I don't know, Lord, people are going to see, but you know what? I'm here. I've made it. I've made it to your feet. No matter what the naysayer said. And I, and I, I get excited because this is where this gets good. I promise. Because we're able to do these things because God, because Jesus did what he did. If you're writing notes. Or taking pictures. Get my good angle, guys. I'm just saying. All right. If you're taking notes, I want you to know that you can surrender because he's your defender. He is your defender. If you get nothing out of this, even out of my B story, please know that Jesus is your defender. He is your defender because look, 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 look how good this is. Simon thought this. Catch that. He thought this. He didn't say it out loud. He didn't say it in front of where everybody can hear. He thought this. Ooh, that's how true it is. <laughs> he thought this. And look what Jesus goes. Jesus answering the Pharisee. What? Simon did not say those things out loud. The Bible said he thought. And I wish I could take, you know, I was writing this and I was like, Lord, I really want to take jazz, but I really don't. But, but this came to mind. The thoughts that other people have 
of you will still not deter Jesus from being your defender. I, I need, the thoughts that people have of you will not deter Jesus from being for you. It doesn't matter because guess what? He had an answer. Jesus had an answer for the thought, not for the spoken word, for the thought, for the thought of those who persecute, who look after you, who talk about you, who say, no, this can't be. This can't be. You can't go to church. It didn't fly up in flames. Of course not, because Jesus is your defender. He is your defender. Jesus said this, Simon, I have something to say. Can you imagine, Simon? I would have been like, did I say I know, I know. I catch myself all the time. I'm like, Dad, did I say that out loud? I shouldn't have said that out loud. He says, a certain money lender who had two debtors, one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Right? When they had no means of repaying, he freely forgave them both. So which of them loved more? And Simon, as we read, said, the one who this debt was, was paid more. Right? The one that was forgiven more. How many of us can agree that no one can read our thoughts? Someone says something out of whack and your mind begins to race about everything that's not so nice. I might, I, I've been there. Somebody says something and, and your, your, your insides start to curl. And this is what happens here. But we can agree and we are grateful that Jesus still knows that. And he still loves us and cares for us and is with us and is for us. Your surrender, let me, let me make something clear. Your surrender might seem foolish. You letting go of the thing that you're scared to let go of might seem foolish to those around you. It may be even viewed as a weakness. Oh, you changing for that Jesus? Oh, you've changed for that Jesus. But Jesus is bigger. That surrender may look like nonsense. But Jesus is still there because he's still your defender. He's still your defender. It's crazy because to me, as he is, he's like, it's almost like he wants to remind. And then, and then, he, then Jesus turns to the woman and he said, he, he, he defends her. He defends her. He said, do you see this woman right here? Do you see in verse 44, he says, I came into her in your house and you have not shown me, I'm just paraphrasing now, you have not shown me the courtesies. But yet she walked in here and she anointed me and she cleaned my feet and she washed them with her tears. Jesus took what she did and halted her enemies in their tracks. The accusers. He made the case for her and he makes the case for us. You, he advocates in front of those who doubted you, who saw you as weak, who didn't understand the choices you were making, the, the walking away that you did in this life, that, in this new life that you have. The walking away, I think that's the hardest thing for people. When you begin to walk away from people when they're so used to you being there. And let me just say, I'm not saying that to be, I don't know what the word is, but I'm not saying that to be like, you know, let me take a stab at somebody, right? That, that's not what I'm saying. I am saying that people don't understand sometimes the choices you make. 
But in light of Jesus, you know that your sins and all the wrongdoing that you've done has not been forgiven. Your life automatically has to change. And when people get a wind of that, they're like, oh, they don't have anything else to say. Psalms 3, 3 says this, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. <laughs> Psalm 54, 4 says, behold, God is my helper, the lift, the upholder of my life. How heavy are those words? How about 2 Samuel says, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and, my, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my savior, you save me from violence. He is your defender. He is your defender. She did the very thing that she knew she needed to do, was just surrender and get to his feet. <laughs> it reminded me of Hebrews 4 where it says, let us come, let us then, and, and I encourage you, listen, I have gone through, I have done enough in my lifetime to know what it is, the damage that occurs when you refuse to let go of the things you've done, right? I have seen walls be taken down in my own life that have pulled out brick by brick. I have seen Jesus go behind me and put me together. I've seen it. I've seen it. Somebody the other day said to me, somebody last week said to me, you worship different now. I remember when you started worshiping. Yeah, because I embraced that Jesus was my defender. That there was nothing that I could have done that would have separated how much he loved me. That's why I worship different. And that's why I sound different. And that's why whether on tune, in tune, no tune, auto tune, whatever. I sound, I'm like, I'm going to worship Jesus because he is my defender. He is my defender. Hebrews 4 says this, and I want you guys to hold on to this. It says, let us then come with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. That doesn't say get close and he's going to condemn you. Nope. It doesn't say come close so then you can still hold on to your stuff. He says come close in confidence in your time of need. And there is grace for that. Point two. He goes before you. I'm going to get a drink of water. <laughs> Take your time. For, verse 40, it says this. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began saying among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus says to the woman, your faith in me has saved you. Go in peace, free from the distress experienced because of your sin. Jesus went into the house on an invite. And I said, Lord, well, he was invited there. It always seems to amaze me because I feel like 
we always think that these things are coincidences. But we know there are no coincidences. He was there for a reason. He was there for her. He was there because he knew he was going to see her. And she needed him. And I need you to know that he was there preparing that place for her. She didn't say a word. The Bible does not say she said a word. But he went before her. And he defended her. And it's always been like that. Genesis 1-1 says this, in the beginning there was God. Boom, he was there. He was there. He was there. Very, very, in, the, in the beginning there was God. That's it. He went before you. He went before you. Deuteronomy 1.30 says that the Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight on your behalf. Thirty-one eight says that the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. We can go on forever. Psalms 136.16 says, To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Isaiah 42 says, I, Isaiah 42, 45, 2 says this, I will go before you, ho, and I will level the mountains. I said, Lord, that's what we're doing up in here? He says, I will break down the gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. He goes before you as the worship team comes up. Oh, 10 minutes. That's good. I said, Lord, how fitting is this on Palm Sunday? God, in his infinite wisdom, surrendered his throne in heaven to go before you to be us, to become like us, to show you how much he loved us. The scene with the simple woman at the table is a small little picture, a small little picture compared to what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus at the table went before her. He was there when she got there. He defended her. And that's exactly what Jesus did beginning this week in our calendar, so to speak. His birth, his life, his surrender, his resurrection was all because he needed to go before us. He needed to set the example. The Bible says that, and he even had... I don't want to say naysayers. He even had people who thought differently, right? The Bible says in Luke 18, 34, and I'm paraphrasing, it says he was talking to the disciples because he was predicting his death for the third time, and his disciples were like, we don't understand what you're saying. We don't get what you're saying. But yet Jesus pressed on because he knew that he had to go before them. He knew that he need, somebody needed defending. I don't know about you guys, but I need to be defended all the days of my life. I need to be defended from the thoughts that I have when I think I'm not enough. I need to be, thought, I need to be defended from the thoughts of when people think I'm not enough. 
And when I think about my parenting skills, true transparency here, I'm like, Lord, I need you to defend me. The other day I told myself, I promise you, I told myself, I said, Lord, I know I'm not the greatest parent when it comes to my kids. I said, but your grace is sufficient enough for me and I need you to come and show me because I'm confused. But I know that Jesus also set the example because he went before me. And all those thoughts that I may have in my head that make me feel this big, he still is my defender. He still went before me. Jesus on a lowly donkey made his way to once and for all put to sleep every doubt, every misconception that you may have. On a lonely donkey, this Palm Sunday, March 28th, I can see him riding down and saying, I need to be their defender. I need to level the playing field here. I need to be the one to go before them. I need to be the one to show them that how much I love them to the point of death and take on everything that they can ever imagine and take on the things that you're dealing with right now and take on the things that you're going to deal with tomorrow and the minute you walk out of here and the things from yesterday and the things from tomorrow and the week after and the month after and the year after. He knew I can see him on the donkey walking down the hill or whatever it was that he was walking on and saying, I need to go before them. I need to defend them. They are mine. They don't belong to anybody else. They don't belong to the thoughts that you have. They don't belong to the hurt that you've been through. They don't belong to those things. They belong to me. And I need to go. I need to be the one. And he's saying here today, let me be. Let me be your defender. I want to do it. I want to do it. Just give it. Just give it. Just give it. And I don't say those things lightly, and please know that I'm not saying it because I think it's easy. Guys, I grew up in church, my Pentecostal life in church. I've been hurt by the church. I've been hurt by people. I've been hurt by all these things. But I know that the day I encountered the grace of God in my life, the day that I encountered Jesus for who he was, not who somebody's told me he was, not who I, who, 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 not the Jesus that belonged to Pastor Ro or Pastor Lee, not the, not the Jesus who belonged to Sheila, not the Jesus that belonged to Fred, the Jesus who belonged to me. Let me tell you that my life hasn't been the same. Your life will not be the same. And Jesus showed me in a vision. I'll never forget it. And I say this because, and I know we've heard it before, but I think it's so impactful. The day I decided that no matter how ugly I was, 
I was giving it up. And I remember at a worship, it was here, it was here. We had a worship night here with Andrew John. And I was sitting right around where Melinda's sitting. And I remember that day I couldn't no more. I said, Lord, how long do I have to be perfect for you? How long do I have to look goodness for you? How long do I have to have my hair in a braid for you? How long do I have, how long, Lord, this is exhausting. And Jesus showed me right there, Holy Spirit showed me this huge vision. And he saw me coming to, and he said this, he showed the cross. And he showed me take my stuff. I'm not going to throw it. And he saw me take the stuff. And he said, this is what you're going to do. Your baggage. All the baggage. I saw luggage. Just luggage and luggage and luggage. And I threw it. And he said, even that one. Even that one. The one that you don't even know about yet. I said, oh, yes. And my life has never been the same. My, your life will never be the same. He defended you. He defended me. He'll do it. The bricks will come down. I promise you. And let me tell you, any ugliness within you, because of the freedom in Jesus, you won't hesitate. Once you see God's goodness and love and mercy, when you start giving things, no. I'm like, Lord, I'm ready. Let's go. Lord, what's that ugliness right here? Let's go. We got to go. We got to go. I've seen the glory. I've seen his glory. I've seen that I have thrown the ugliest of things. And he still loves me. He still loves you. We can get on our feet. This is why I didn't wear my jacket. You guys can stand up. I'm closing. Thank God I didn't wear my jacket. If this is here, no, that's not what I wanted to say. If this is you today, <laughs> if this is you today, I want you to know that there is nothing that he won't do and that he hasn't done for you. Easter. Next week we celebrate the time and when he was on the cross and he yelled out, it is finished. That's him saying, I went before you and I'm your defender. Don't let anybody ever tell you anything differently. That's him saying, I am for you, I went before you, and I am your defender. <laughs> no matter what.
if anybody here wants to know who this Jesus is, who their defender is, who's the one who's loved them since before they were born, before the foundation, before your parents even knew you were having you. I want us to lift up our hands and everybody online and just lift up your hands by where you are. And we're going we're, we're gonna to worship him and we're going to lift him up and we're going to pray and, and, we're, and you're going to follow me. You're going to say, Lord... I know that you have gone before me, that you defend me, that you love me. I am standing here today knowing, oh God, that nothing, nothing will separate us. Lord, we want to get to know you. We say that we are yours and you are mine and you are ours. We believe that you died for us. We believe that you've defended us. We believe that everything that has come to pass, oh God, is in your hands. Lord, we stand here today publicly declaring that you are our Lord and Savior. Jesus, we just thank you. Father, I thank you for every heart in this place. I thank you for every heart online. I thank you, God, for everything you have shown us here today. I thank you, oh God, because there is no one who can ever tell us differently. Lord, I praise you. 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 I will not get tired of praising you. I will not get tired of proclaiming you. Lord, you are great and mighty and loving. And Lord, you would not have it any other way. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once again, we want to thank you for tuning in. Subscribe now and stay connected to all of our latest messages. And if this message really blessed you, pass along the blessing by sharing it with a friend. We pray that you will be given the opportunity to apply this message and we hope that you enjoy the rest of your day. God bless.